0: Podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate Valley. For more criminally compelling
1: shows, articles, and conversations, head to We Spoilers, detective. Proceed with caution. Listen at your own risk.
0: Entertainment landfill, film, television, pop culture—it's where you find it. Adam, first of all, I want to say happy new year.
1: Happy new year to you, sir.
0: And uh, did you have a good Christmas? I
1: did. I had a little uh, vehicle mishap going in where at the halfway point of my journey, my car battery died. So uh, I had to, call, had to call A, and this was on Christmas Eve, so I was lucky that there was uh, someone in town uh, to help me do that. And basically, I had to get a new battery for it and have that changed out. And then eventually I got home. But I was basically stuck in the town for nearly three hours. So uh, wow. that wasn't so much fun. But uh, g- getting home and spending like a week uh, with my family, which I usually don't get to do uh, on Christmas breaks because they're usually not that long, that, that was a real treat. So, uh, yeah, it was good besides uh, the mishap.
0: Now, I – who do you talk to in your family about films? Like whenever you see a movie, do you talk to your brother about it or
1: not my brother so much except for only certain films that he and I have a shared interest in. Uh usually I'll talk to my mother or my sister uh because they like to get uh some recommendations from me even but I have to I have to consider uh talking about them to certain things i'll let them know if i think they're going to be interested in such a thing uh so i so i'll give them my little quick review if i've come out of a movie theater because they usually ask were were you able to go see the movie this week what'd you go see and uh and that my mom really uh I, i guess she's the most primary person that I talk to in terms of movie watching. My brother comes in second because due to his job or just due to his, uh, you know, schedule, uh, he, I'll talk to him about certain things, certain movies, especially if they're a shared interest. Like ever since we, I mean, we've been talking about Ford versus Ferrari ever since it was first announced. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about it a lot after we actually saw the movie and then I went back. If I had questions about certain things in the movie, he would be able to answer them. Uh, And I got, he and his wife got to go see Rise of Skywalker while we were babysitting his boy. And he came back and then he gave me his little discussion with it. So, um,. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of breaks down like that.
0: Did he get the memo that he's supposed to hate it? I wonder. If.
1: Well, he actually liked the movie, even though he felt it was uh, a little, uh, a li- I mean, so tight paced that it feels like it just didn't stop to catch its breath. And yeah. uh, there were some fan servicey moments, but he did not by any means hate the movie, even right. though I'm sure he's aware that there is it's very polarizing. Uh, on the internet I don't know He there's no way he follows as many film critics as I do on Twitter <laughs> yes. and I think that makes a huge difference.
0: Can I just say this okay it's I haven't put out an episode of Entertainment Landfill since October mm-hmm. and you know I put out the Ghostbusters show I did with Ken Preventure mm-hmm. I put out a Witcher Book Club episode with Ross and then I re-released the Mulberry Christmas but I haven't done a show where I've talked about Star Wars or talked about uh The Witcher or The Mandalorian or uh Jedi Fallen Order I haven't talked about any of that stuff on a podcast and it has driven me crazy a little bit <laughs> but I but I got to say this about The Rise of Skywalker and let me ask you if you felt the same way it felt like because of Twitter and social media that everyone had seen it before the friggin' movie had even been released, and we knew so many people's opinions on it. Try- I was trying to actively avoid it, like, I blocked mm-hmm. the hashtag Rise of Skywalker, I blocked Star Wars just so I wouldn't see <laughs> anything. I muted it, I guess is what the word is. I'm trying to, but I still saw people saying, Well. I saw Star Wars last night and here's what I think. And I'm like, why am I seeing this? I thought I muted this. And you see it no matter what. And I had so many different, you know, I would see a little bit of negativity here and a little negativity here. And I'm like, stop. I don't want to see this. I just want to see the movie and make up my own mind. You know, I always say, uh, let the movie come to you. I just want to, you know, let the movie come to me. And Social media has made it so hard to do that, especially with a Star Wars film. How do you right. feel about that?
1: Well, uh that's most I thought, like I said, I follow a lot of film critics on Twitter and most of them went to the world premiere, which was like five days before the nationwide release, and so they were giving their opinions uh as early as that Monday night and all the way leading up to the release. And uh surprising absolutely no one, they are still giving their thoughts and I have muted quite a few of them. I'm mean, even muted certain words with about Star Wars or something. I don't need to hear about Rose Tycho or <laughs> Kelly Marie Tran or anything else. Uh but yeah, you I I myself I kept reading these these reactions, and very few of them were very positive, and most of them were just downright – it wasn't just, for them, a poorly made movie. It's like they felt betrayed because yeah. they had loved Last Jedi so much, and I get where you're coming from. I, I, I get when that – you know you're you see a movie and you've got like this instant reaction this wide-hot instant reaction that you're trying to put down for the record but most films i think work best when you've given some giving them some time to stew around in your mind. Like we haven't got drew McQueenie's reaction he probably won't post that until like next month or so. Yeah. Which I think he's, I mean, he's put out a ranking of the films. You've probably seen the tweet. So, and depending on where, uh, uh, where it falls, you probably got a pretty good idea of what he thinks about it. Uh, you However,
0: think, uh, keep going. I just, have yeah, something
1: so, else. I want. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, it's just film critics who are able to see films early, which kind of drives me nuts. Uh, because oh, you get to go to your fancy little film festival because you live in those <laughs> yeah. densely populated areas, and meanwhile, I have to wait with for, for, for with the rest of the savages when it gets released nationwide, so yeah, yeah. good for you i 'm very impressed that your access is greater than mine but uh but Here's yeah it's it, 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 yeah, it is <laughs> when you get to the Rotten Tomatoes version of Rise of Skywalker, assuming that 's what you 're going to do, man, this is going to be interesting, but uh, uh, it, it just became an echo chamber of the or the weirdest sorts, where everyone was just throwing their opinions down. And I, I would usually go for like a day without looking on Twitter because I just wanted to go in the movie with you know my hopes and stuff. But but yeah, it, it was unreal uh, to 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 see like the final ending of this movie series the at least as far as the nine film art goes and for people to be down on this and i don't know whether the crazy ass reaction to cats kind of bled into the crazy ass reaction to star wars but maybe it did <laughs> so uh yeah it, it, it it's a, it was a strange thing to witness on day to day
0: and i gotta say uh We lived through The Last Jedi, uh, Mm -hmm. the whole internet reaction to that, and it was very divisive. People either love it or people hate it, and they will tell you why, even if you don't want to know. And uh, that's the way, I got to say, The Last Jedi kind of broke me in a way where I had to distance from Star Wars where... I couldn't share my love with it with anybody anymore. Cause I didn't want to hear what they thought of the last Jedi. I was afraid mm-hmm. they'd bring it up. Cause I didn't want to know. And, right. uh, it's almost like when this movie was coming up, the rise of Skywalker, I was very underhyped for it. I was not hyped for it at all. In fact, uh, you know, as you know, Ross and I have been reading all of the witcher books mm-hmm. and we're on the sixth book. And, uh, the series came out on Netflix the same day as the rise of Skywalker. So my kind of hyped brain was kind of at a tug of war. Like, uh, uh, you know, am I more involved in the Witcher universe or star Wars? And I was trying to uh, kind of wrestling with it. And, uh, uh, I went to see rise of Skywalker and then when it was over, I was like, well, I got to get home and continue watching (laughs) the Witcher. You know, I didn't think much about it and uh you know my my visceral reaction or my instant reaction right away sitting with you know i saw it with my wife and daughter and i saw it with steven and his girlfriend and and her family and, you know we had a whole row there watching star wars it was good times we had a good time and when it was over you know it's a happy ending it's it's the last in the the saga for the skywalkers and uh I was like yeah yeah yeah, i'm good uh and you know emma's like i really like that you know i read some of my friends or you know people on twitter they said things and but i still had a good time i was like yeah me too well anyway yeah. back, back to the witcher or whatever but <laughs> i thought about it more and i gotta say this i don't really care that much <laughs> that's the weird thing and someone could tell me like oh jason this is the Disneyfication of star Wars, they've made you not care. And it's, I don't think it's that. I just think it's that. Uh, maybe I've moved on the, you know, I'm close to star Wars. Star Wars means a lot to me, but it, it's the original trilogy. I was a kid when I saw the original, you know, it came out in 77. I was born in 71 uh then of course empire is right there in my wheelhouse of my favorite movie and then return of the jedi i remember seeing that on opening day i've talked about it a lot on the show that my dad let me miss school we went to hollywood and we stood in line all day till finally we saw it and it was fantastic so it meant Hmm. a lot to me so i don't think anything could come close to those feelings of that but i've always loved the star wars universe and uh i've loved talking about it with uh people over the years but when it came down to rise of the skywalker and then after the last jedi and here's the truth about the last jedi i you know i spoke favorably about it when i saw it you know i saw it twice on opening weekend because i bought a ticket for that friday and saturday i think or was it thursday and friday i can't remember But I've never watched it again. I never watched it on Blu-ray or video or never streamed it on Netflix. I've seen it twice. And I was thinking about that before this, you know, because some people, they're like, hey, I'm going to rewatch the entire series. I'm going to start with episode one, work my way all the way up to episode eight and then go see episode nine. And my thought was, why don't you remember? Yeah. Don't you remember how it happened? I saw those movies. I don't need to watch them again. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way I think. And everyone, and I know it's a thing and it's not right for me to shit on it, but everyone's like, okay, here's my new Star Wars rankings. First uh, I would start with, and it's just like, wait, can I stop you there? I didn't ask you for that ranking. I don't care. Can you go away, please? That's the way I Mm -hmm. feel about it. I don't care what your ranking is for the Star Wars films. Um, That's fine. If you have a ranking, That's fine, and I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy, but that's how kind of over I am. Star Wars opinions on the internet have broken me, is what I'm trying to say. Right. (laughs) And uh, sure, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker has issues. The biggest issue is that it moves at a breakneck pace. Am I right?
1: it It does, and it rarely slows down for anything because it's packed with you know we're just going from incident to incident and it and it's following up on a uh the last jedi which uh was more medita- meditative and contemplative yeah. and took had more time to breathe, which drove some people crazy, but uh. Empire Strikes Back did the same thing although I think it made a better balance of having, you know, a set piece and then some character time and then back and forth swinging yeah. like a pendulum kind of kind of balance.
0: The whole Palpatine thing on whether it uh the fact that bringing him back kind of subtracts from the original trilogy and Darth Vader and Luke and at the end of uh Return of the Jedi killing, you know, throwing the emperor down and he's dead and they defeated him the fact that he's still around kind of defeats that purpose i i can kind of see that argument kind of the whole uh Newt in alien 3 kind of thing <laughs> hmm. if you think about it like after you watch return of the jedi now though when i watch it i'm not gonna go well he's still alive guys he's gonna show up in episode 9 i'm not gonna think that i'm gonna think uh that's the end of it then disney bought it and then they brought him back for the storyline i don't think of it as a cohesive saga storyline through and that's the problem with um this trilogy is i understood the idea of hiring three different filmmakers to do three different movies but i think now they know and i do think it was a mistake to do that they should have had Uh, an idea for all three movies you know you don't necessarily have to write all three scripts at least have the uh, blueprint the outline for it and this is what we're going to follow and these things need to happen this is our storyline but i understand you know they didn't do that they wanted to leave it open to the other two filmmakers what ended up being or, you remember, it was supposed to be J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, then uh, the guy who did Jurassic Park, whose name I can't
1: oh, remember. Oh, yeah, Colin Trevorrow.
0: Yeah, which was like, oh, that's interesting. I remember at the time, not even sh- sure if I liked that idea. Because I want one person's... It doesn't have to be one person's vision. It could be a writer's room, for all I care. But guys, have your shit mapped out. Because it does feel uneven now. Do you know what I mean?
1: Right, well... um, I, a couple of things that, you know, need to be taken into consideration when you try to follow the pathway of this, this trilogy, uh, two things happen. One, uh, the firing of colin Trevor or or that he or that he quit because he left due to creative differences with Kathleen Kennedy or whoever it was at Lucas film and uh to, and another thing happened which was Carrie Fisher passed yeah uh not right around the time of last Jedi's uh release, and the idea that I've been informed was that when you were bringing back these three main legacy characters, one film was going to focus on one particular so force awakens was han the movie uh last jedi was luke's and the th- and episode 9 was supposed to be leia's yeah. but now the events had changed and they had to start from scratch Now that was not the only obstacle facing whoever had to write and direct it uh you also have to face a deadline where disney wants this thing out by the end of the decade basically by the end of 2019 i am impressed that we got a a movie that is watchable and entertaining considering the fact that it they had to write it really quickly they had to shoot it they had to do post-production stuff on it and so had carrie fisher not died We may have had a completely different movie, but it's one of those things where they had to make compromises. There were just things that they just didn't plan for, and uh, maybe it would have been best if they had pushed the deadline for like another year ahead. I don't really think that that would have made a diff – that that would have hurt anything as far as the shareholders are concerned, but – but maybe that would have made the difference if uh, I mean, but I don't know. That's, that's how, that's how I ultimately feel about rise of Skywalker, which is not too different from the way that I feel about the dark Knight rises, where you watch dark Knight and you had to suspect that Heath Ledger's character, Heath Ledger's Joker was going to play a more pivotal role in the third movie had Christopher Nolan planned to do one. And you've, in considering that Nolan thought very highly of Ledger and especially his performance that the Joker would have uh, mattered but uh, Heath Ledger passed, they had yeah. to uh, change gears and uh, the end result was the the compromises and the choices that they had to make and like Rise of Skywalker I think that Dark Knight Rises is a perfectly entertaining movie even though I know that it pales in comparison to the movie that came before it but that that's this is ultimately the way that big budget franchise movie making kind of happens where if uh, if someone leaves the project or someone is not able to contribute because they passed on uh, this is just the end result
0: right and i know that star wars is important to a lot of people and they want mm-hmm. certain things in it i understand that from Uh the remember like when the prequels came out, you know, I know what I would do is I would think in my head, you know, I would have done it this way. Or (laughs) I would have if they could have just done this. I didn't think that with the rise of Skywalker. I accept it for the way it is, and it is what it is. And nothing's going to change that. And I I thought it was admirable what they did with Carrie Fisher and what footage they had. I imagine they mapped out, here's all all the dialogue we have that she said. These are moments she acted out and deleted scenes. Let's try to piece this together into a performance. And I imagine that was very difficult. And I thought they did an admirable job with it. Um, Her death scene is a little awkward, but I understand why it is. But I also thought they did a good job of making it touching and moving because when she's dying, you know, it's because Carrie Fisher is really no longer with us. And it's, right. uh, when the film was over, I was like, you know, that was really sad and stuff. And I was so upset when I thought they killed Chewie. And I told uh, my daughter, I said, you know, the actor who played Chewbacca, he really did die. And she had tears go down her face. She was like, he
1: did? <laughs> the whole... And I was
0: like, yeah and uh, i was like yeah i know it's really sad i i think that there's moments in the film that i really like a lot like i said i've only seen it once and if you told me jason recap recap the movie for me what happens dude i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> but i know there were some scenes i liked i really liked the harrison ford scene yeah uh, the this stuff with palpatine was way over the top especially when he does the force lightning in the sky and he's electrocuting all the ships. And I'm like, wow, he's got this incredible power, doesn't he? I thought that was crazy, but it was fine. Uh, it
1: was, yeah. yeah I, I really liked it. You have that whole, the, the sound design of when he launches the force lightning, where it does that little boom, and then the just sound just drops. And then it goes, then it completely goes when the yeah. lightning goes up. My, I thought that was really impressive.
0: My biggest... Uh, I don't have a nitpick, but the biggest nitpick I agree with that I've seen people say is like all of the, the star destroyers, where the hell did they come from? How long have they been there and who is manning all those ships? I thought it would have been really cool detail if they showed who was manning the ships and it was all droids, then it would immediately be acceptable. Don't you think? I
1: guess I don't even know who the hell all those people were that were in the the emperor's emperor's little arena.
0: Yeah. All these,
1: all these people wearing cloaks and shit. I don't, I don't know who those people are.
0: You have an arena there with those people have re bring back the attack of the clones arena scene and have them have to fight (laughs) creatures or something. Uh, The stuff about the Knights of Ren, like after the movie's over, who were they? What were they? why do we fear them? We will never know.
1: <laughs> right. They're, they're ultimately just things to kill. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, that's um, in the
0: history of star Wars. There's always been characters like that where we're like, who the hell are they? And you have to lean over and go, this is for like uh, cartoons and stuff to dis- determine later other shows. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay.
1: I've only seen it once uh, since the opening since the opening weekend, and I can tell you, I still love the uh, uh, the moment when they're in the Falcon and they and Poe Dameron gets the idea of doing uh, hyperspeed skipping yeah which is extremely dangerous and they're just launching from one place to another it's it's a lot like that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy volume 2 where they're doing those space jumps but rocket just irresponsibly doesn't plot the course so they're just going from one way to one place to another and it's like their bodies are almost at the point of being ripped apart and they're screaming their heads off during the whole thing that was i i would like to go see it again just to see that part that was a yeah. really interesting way to do a chase scene uh but the other thing was when we find out that through Ray and Kylo's bond they can pass off objects to each other. And when uh when when it's revealed that Ray has passed on I think it's Luke's lightsaber on to Kylo as he's surrounded by the knights and then he does that little Han Solo like shrug before he starts attacking them. Yeah. That made me, that made me want to, to start sharing that. I, I kind of did my, I kind of did like a little yes. fist bump thing to it. I, I was in, it, it, it has moments where I am genuinely uh, thrilled. Yeah. I, I, I guess the only thing that kind of feels like a letdown from a writing standpoint is that there's times where they're trying to do the friendly banter, between the characters and it's just not as the, 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 the dialogue just isn't as well written as it is in previous, previous entries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I, aside from, we've got to retro, we got to re, re I, I don't know if retcon is the best way to put it. We got to revise the script because Leia isn't going to have as big of a role previously. And and when I see it again, I'll have more fully, uh, f- uh, more, uh, fully formed thoughts, but it, it does seem tonally it, it, it rises. Skywalker is more of a sequel to, uh, force awakens than it is last Jedi, although it can exist without what the last Jedi set up. Right. And last Jedi being this very character oriented piece words uh trying to land the trying to uh, make the landing on a film that follows that maybe can only work if Ryan Johnson would come back to it and that's right. never going to that's obviously is never something that's never going to happen because after, having seen knives out I'm glad he went and did that movie instead yeah but um but yeah, it's uh, aside from some fan servicing moments. I mean, yes, everyone loved it when Chewie finally got his medal, but it doesn't uh, I mean, uh, aside from the little wink and a nod, I don't think it I don't think it really matters.
0: Yeah, it it was fun like, ah, oh, he got his medal, okay. Uh, <laughs> another thing, uh, the the fan service I liked and I knew it was fan service, it could have been blinking on the screen, fan service, fan service, was <laughs> uh, Luke's X-Wing being uh, rising out of the water. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yes, because this scene should have been in The Last Jedi, and it you expected it to be in The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. that this is going to rise out of the water eventually, and Ray's going to take it, or Luke is going to hop in it and fly and rescue him. But Ryan Johnson, yeah. he's more like, no, I'm not going to do that because you expect me to do it. But sometimes I think it's okay to do that, especially in a Star Wars film. It wouldn't bother me. But J.J. Abrams is like, no, I'll do that scene, and I appreciated that and I really liked it. Even though, yes, it's fan service. I get it. The yeah. the, the scene where uh, he's you know Ben Solo is talking to his father and he wants to say I love you. I was thinking he wanted to say, I'm sorry, but he was saying, I love you. And he says, I know. Mm -hmm. Um, Fantastic. Love that. Yeah, Um, There was a lot of hopping around. We got to get to this place and get this thing and go to where, whatever. It's keeping the cast busy or whatever. Um, It's just that. More than ever, I just feel like, hey, I saw, um, I saw a Star Wars movie is entertaining and stuff and, uh, I gotta go. I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't right. feel like engaging in conversations about it, except with you right now. And this will be all we ever speak of it for the rest of our lives, right?
1: <laughs> well, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, one thing that I wanted to mention from a writing standpoint that I felt was a weakness, uh, and more of a weakness than I thought, like the, the the dialogue or some of the some of the attempts at humor, uh, that the plot basically was dependent on not one MacGuffin story but two of them. Yeah, because that's what Force Awakens did. We had to find a device that will lead us to this, and now you've got two subplots where. Both the good guys and the bad guys are looking for a magical doodad that will yeah, just, lead us to, or let's get access to something.
0: Magical doodads <laughs> exist in Star Wars. They're called holocrons. Just have it be a Sith holocron. Don't have it be a dagger that's not really practical in the Star Wars universe, I don't think. Maybe it is. The Mandalorian has a vibro blade, but it hmm. still seems silly that it was this ancient dagger to me. Yeah. Yeah. Why how come it's not an ancient lightsaber hilt or something? That would be cool. But anyway, sorry, but I digress.
1: Right. Yeah, we're we're both digressing when you think about it.
0: <laughs> now, as for the Mandalorian, I think uh are you all caught up on the Mandalorian?
1: I still got to watch the last episode. I haven't been able to.
0: Holy shit. Okay. I don't want (laughs) to. I just don't want to. I'm glad I didn't spoil anything for you or anything. But uh, The Mandalorian's been a pleasant surprise. It's been fantastic. I expected it to be good, though, because Dave Filoni, uh, he's like a Star Wars wonderkin with uh, Mm -hmm. the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. And I know that he has Star Wars in his heart. And he knows what Star Wars is, and John Favreau. What's funny is John Favreau's the uh, season director, but he's Dave Filoni has taken him under his wing, uh, the, as a producer, and helped him with all the Star Wars lore. Because uh, uh, John Favreau did a voice in the Clone Wars. He was a Mandalorian called Previsla, which is a really cool character. And he was the leader of Death Watch. And so uh, he was really, he learned to love Mandalorians through Dave Filoni telling about the history of them and stuff, because they had it all worked out. So that pretty much made him fall in love with the characters of Mandalorians. And John Favreau has taken Dave Filoni under his wing uh, from a director's standpoint, getting him into live action directing. And I'm really hoping that this will lead to Dave Filoni doing something live action in the Star Wars universe that will really uh, blow our socks off eventually. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really setting up something for the f- awesome in the future. What's funny is uh, I joked earlier uh, in the show, like year a couple of years ago maybe, remember there were rumors of an Obi-Wan movie. Not a TV series, but a movie. And I joked that it'd be funny if it was obi-wan taking care of baby luke and keeping him out of trouble and that's what the mandalorian is (laughs) it's like the same plot so they can't do that with uh, obi-wan now because people will be like wait he's taking care of baby luke this is very similar to another show (laughs) so they're not going to do that obviously but i'm excited what they do with that
1: i mean my understanding from episode uh episode four is that kenobi kept his distance from luke yeah uh rather than just raising him up as his own uh so i mean they they can't they can't do that i mean i think i don't think that the kenobi project which is coming which i think is now a tv show yeah instead of a, a movie is not going to involve young luke skywalker i i think it's really going to be something like during like the prequels stuff or or i don't know i mean (laughs) i'm not i'm not particularly i'm not particularly sure that the period following uh revenge of the sith is going to be (laughs) as interesting a story to tell but we'll see
0: from revenge of the sith to a new hope that's a lot of years that he could be going on adventures so it could be anything really
1: I, I just figured he would want to keep a low profile considering, you know, everything that's, you know, went down. So uh, a... I, I think he I think he stayed on Tatooine yeah. to watch over Luke, but kept his distance.
0: Did you uh, ever watch Star Wars Rebels? No,
1: but I've got access to it and I should definitely start.
0: Because uh, I will say that he shows up at one point in that, and that's literally what he's doing. He's just keeping a low profile on tatooine and in fact when he meets a character from star wars rebels he's like you don't belong here you need to leave now and he's like oh okay and it almost feels like this isn't your story get the f off this planet kind of a thing Hmm. and uh i really liked that it was kind of like this is my timeline you can't be here to interrupt it kind of a thing I, you know, cause there's somebody very important to the force here on this planet and no one can know about them. Take your shit and leave. And I thought that was really cool that there wasn't like an adventure with Obi-Wan. It was, he was just like, get out of here immediately kind of a thing. And, uh, if you ever watch star Wars rebels, uh, after you get past that first season, you know, it was on Disney, uh, XD for kids, uh, Stuff really, the momentum in the story really gets going. It's a really good series. Okay. You should check
1: I'll, it out. Def- I'll definitely keep that in mind. I, I it, That's on Disney Plus right now, isn't it? Oh,
0: yeah, all of them. Yeah, four okay. seasons.
1: Okay. 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 Well, seeing as how you have finished the first season of Mandalorian, and I haven't, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, because I don't really know what the end point is, is exactly. Uh, do you think, without spoiling anything, do you think that Mandalorian clearly provides that end point or its reason reason for being? Because, I mean, a lot of people have talked about uh, how the Mandalorian resembles like a Western or a samurai story. Some people have brought up Lone Wolf and Cub comparisons. Yeah. Is it more than just playing spot the precursor that many viewers like to do? Is its it, is it successful in telling its own kind of story within this universe.
0: I think so. I think it's definitely, you know, influenced by those things, Westerns and samurai tales, but, and dealing with honor and creeds and that kind of thing. And I think that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be more than that. Maybe it will be eventually. Uh, Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a a lone warrior who eventually gathers uh, a group of people that her you know, a loner uh, that eventually is surrounded by people that care about him. And I, I like that aspect of it. And it kind of reminds yeah. me of Josie Wales, the outlaw Josie Wells, one of my favorite Westerns of all time, where mm-hmm. Josie Wells, he's a lone outlaw. And by the end of the movie, he has a freaking family. He is like this group <laughs> of people that are following him everywhere. And in fact, uh, The Witcher is very much like that. Uh, yeah, Geralt is a monster hunter at the beginning by the sixth book. He's got a group of individuals, uh, with him, and whether he wants them to leave or not, they're not going anywhere. And it's, it's really fantastic. And I love that. And I yeah. think, uh, if Mandalorian does, what I think it's going to do is, uh, it, this kind of galaxy where it seems like it's everyone out for them him, themselves, he'll find people that. Don't feel that way, and you'll find it basically a a family, and you know that's what I always loved about Chuck too. This kind of uh, family that's formed by all the characters. I just you know eat that stuff up, you know.
1: Yeah, I think it successfully shows like this are successfully committing to the to the concept of a family unit a lot more efficiently than say Fast and the Furious. So uh, I agree with you on that point.
0: It's all about family and fast.
1: La Familia.
0: Yeah, let's all sit down. Every episode of The Mandalorian, they should have a meal at the end, you know. (laughs) They should all pray to the Force or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a fun show. I can't wait to see uh, the next season. You know, that's what's so funny is when you watch these shows that only have eight episodes per season, you're like okay, we'll get back to that next year. You know, you got to wait a long time for that to come back. Right. Surround yourself with other things like uh, films, video games, etc.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, and I think that was a good call to make a uh, TV sh- uh, episode, uh, TV seasons that long because certain Netflix shows, especially the Marvel shows, uh, feel like they had too much filler in them like they were yeah. just padding out their time and these shows like the witcher or watchman or the mandalorian just seem particularly focused in saying we can tell we can tell our story we don't need to you know we don't need to like uh you know take our we we don't need to like go into weird tangents. We're laser focused and we're going to cross that finish line and uh, we'll, we'll do it quicker because I I mean, we can't waste people's time like this.
0: Now you watched the Watchmen, right? Did you finish it? I
1: did. I, 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 I finished up. I, I watched the last episode when it, when it aired and I was catching up, Uh, on that week on the weekend up till
0: did you get tired of people telling you you gotta watch this
1: (laughs) after a while yes i did but it never but it didn't it didn't uh take away from the hype of the potential of that show and uh, and uh i still found it intriguing that uh that that the show was able to pull the pull certain things like this off because i mean uh, everyone's favorite whipping boy from Wa- from Lost which is uh, Damon Lindelof yeah. uh, people still hold that shit against him uh, but then he makes three critically acclaimed seasons of The Leftovers and then he goes on to this and I think people became more comfortable with trying to do a Watchmen sequel or whatever you want to call it I-, I-, I guess the TV show is technically a sequel to it
0: yeah but- yeah absolutely
1: yeah, but uh, I was unprepared uh for the for the ways that it dealt with, you know, uh, you know, race and and I was unprepared for the way that it 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 continued on certain themes from the original comic, which is, you know, trying to contain order and chaos and uh, the moral ambiguity of being superheroes or even in the case of Dr. Manhattan being a god. It's – I mean, spoiler alerts for anyone who's listening to this. Uh, it's revealed uh, like 3rd two-thirds of the way into the show that – the, the big scheme is to try to take power from Dr. Manhattan and to be a god like he is. And none of these bad guys seem to ever contemplate that being Dr. Manhattan is not in itself such a good thing.
0: Can I just say and, this about the, the series, real quick? Because you made me think sure. of something. Um, sure. Heather and I, you know, we watched, I think the first three episodes of the watchman aired and heather was like hey can i watch the movie watchman i was like uh okay you really want to she was like yeah it's just i don't know a lot about what i'm watching and i was like yeah you know it'll give you the gist of it okay so i found the the director's cut or the long cut with even the animated sequences added in you know the story yeah. of the black freighter or whatever mm-hmm. so we watched that And I realized there's an episode of the HBO series Watchmen that deals with the giant squid in New York and how traumatizing that was. And I realized what a huge mistake it was for Zack Snyder to cut the giant squid out of the film because uh, I have a feeling he thought it was a little silly. Maybe the imagery was silly, but... I liked that Damon Lindelof completely embraced everything from the comic book and he didn't cut out anything. And I really felt like it showed that Zack Snyder, he wanted to remake it, but it felt weird that he was like, yeah, but let's not include this. Cause it's too weird. I that's. I, don't you think I'm that's sorry. strange?
1: Go ahead. Well, that, that's what, uh, drew McWinney was talking about, uh, uh, the series when it wrapped up and he, Tweeted about something he learned about the production of the the movie itself, which was in production hell at one point. Terry Gilliam was attached to direct, right. and throughout all these, throughout all the rewrites and the different people who were attached to them, they were all seemingly against the giant squid. Interesting for for whatever for whatever reason, I guess they just felt it was too. Just too hokey for general audiences to lap up because you've got to remember. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, movies based on properties like this, Yes, there's an, there's a built in fandom that is going to go see it, but they have to reach the general audiences because that's going to make the lion's share of tickets yeah, or that's viewers. A, when
0: you do a movie, you have to. Like, oh, this is stupid. And I love that it shows that TV, maybe that's where to adapt this stuff, you know? And I think it was awesome the way they handled the squid stuff.
1: Right. And while I get, I get, well, I mean, we may never, I mean, we may never know. Maybe, you know, Snyder would have handled the appearance of a squid differently or something. the idea that uh, Osmandius decides is, decides to make it look like it was something that dr manhattan did rather than the squid yeah
0: that
1: that that was effective to me uh, by the same token yeah it's it's just that i i think snyder was more was way more interested in capturing the look and feel of the book especially from a tactile standpoint uh, rather than he you was know, trying more- to
0: make a badass film which you can't put him yeah. on but also something gets lost a little in the translation but uh, yeah. he, it is a gorgeous film to look at
1: yeah. And 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 I don't and, and Drew was talk he <laughs> we keep going I keep going back to Drew McWiney but looks folks since Robert pat Robert Roger Ebert passed this is my go-to guy he talks about the things that I like so I'm just going to have to keep bringing it up you're you're just going to have to deal with it. He uh talked about this on a, on a podcast he was doing called Increment Vice which is a uh movie dedicated to uh the movie uh, Inherent Vice, right. and he was talking about uh, watch. He was talking about the Watchmen movie and the Watchmen TV series, and it, it just really felt like from because he did a set visit at one particular point, and Snyder nailed down the physicality of these uh, of these places that are captured perfectly from the book, and what McQueenie uh, believes is that there is a kind of a flaw to the approach like that there's not a flaw to Snyder's uh, efforts there's just a flaw to the approach and the Watchmen TV series kind of feels a little more organic because it's not trying to sell you on how closely it ties with the source material it's able to be its own thing yeah. and also be a complement to the source material
0: right and i liked that it's a continuation because remember when they first announced like hey uh uh, Damon Lindoff's going to do a Watchmen TV series. I was like, why, why <laughs> does he want to do this? This is a terrible idea. I love so much the fact and, uh, maybe, uh, other showrunners or whatever can take a look at this and realize he had a story to tell and he had it mapped out and the writer's room got together. They told this incredible story over this length of, was it eight episodes or 10 episodes?
1: I want
0: to say it was nine. Yeah, nine oh, episodes.
1: No, no it, it was... Yeah, I want to say it's nine episodes.
0: That they had a story to tell. They got it and they told it. And it's done. And Damon Lindelof is not even sure if he wants to make another season because they nailed it so well, you know?
1: I don't think they should.
0: I don't think they should either. I think they're done with the story. And I thought it was great. Um, my only question was, was Don Johnson really bad the entire time? Or... Was he just, uh, I don't know, honoring mistakes of his family's past? I don't know.
1: I think he was, he was bad and yeah, i think was, it, so I guess, it was a level I, I i truly do feel that he was a friend but let's let's face it he can't he cannot there's no way he cannot know that his wife is a member of the seventh calvary oh yeah and true. not be and not be a part of it so uh um, spoilers alert so, yeah. <laughs>
0: spoiler alert <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I've yeah, yeah, good, good thing you know. I could have sworn I put the spoiler alert earlier, but whatever. Yeah, you it's did. your show.
0: Um, we just need to sound it off every <laughs> once in a while,
1: right? But no, yeah, I, I, uh, it, it, I mean, Don Johnson is very good at playing. Scumbags and especially racist scumbags, which is not you know a question of his character. It's just what he's usually you know good for in terms of his uh, ability as an actor, which is to play people who are just outright uh, mean or people who can conceal it. And uh, I, I didn't, and I didn't really suspect that his wife was going to be that way until it was just already too late.
0: Yeah, how great but, was Gene Smart in the series?
1: Oh, um, absolutely amazing! I, I am glad. I, I mean, speaking from the movie, we were we were talking about the Zack Snyder movie. I, I felt like her character wasn't well served. And I don't know whether that was a question of the script or Snyder's direction or Malin Ackerman's ability as an actress. I
0: think that Malin Ackerman bless her, but I think she was miscast in the film.
1: Yeah. But they gave, they gave the character of Laurie so much good shit because she's basically disillusioned and she doesn't give a shit. She's, she's, uh, she has inherited, Certain character uh, character uh, traits from her biological father, who is the comedian, right. and oh spoiler and, and while, alert! And while I felt it was infuriating <laughs> no, uh, for her to get really under the skin out of characters that I, you know I was kind of rooting for, at the same particular p- time, you've got to admire her ability to to do her job and kind of weave her way into. Uh, into the the situation and uh being really i mean she, it, it's just a it's just a uh it is basically just proof that she's really damn good at her job and she can right. get into people's skins because she used to be a, a crime fighter so she basically she there's very little you can do to shock the hell out of her she basically can see through your crap and that that scene between her and uh uh, what's a uh, Regina King in the, uh, wh- what do you call it? The mausoleum? Yeah. Mausoleum. That, that, yeah, mausoleum. I'm sorry. That was such a well, that, that was such a well acted scene, not just in the way that uh, Laurie basically puts her foot down and tells, and tells the Regina King character that she's not screwing around. And Regina King does this little, foe shudder, like she's not scared of him, <laughs> not scared of her at all.
0: Yeah,
1: it, 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 it was wonderful to watch characters like these, uh, basically go at each other.
0: Regina King was it was her show. She was fantastic. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I Nelson, fantastic. Everybody, yes. It. And uh, it was just so good, so good.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I I, I just. I keep thinking about it. I, I, I keep thinking about how the lady true or, or however you pronounce her name is the character that Hong chow plays, Yeah, h- how she evokes Osmandius and then diverts from him in terms of a personality. And I speaking of her when- advice, she's great in that movie too. And I'm glad that she's gotten big noticeable work following that.
0: Well, I love that Osmandius. is, we through the whole series we're like where is he and what the hell is going on <laughs> and then finally when we get it we're like oh okay you know it's not like i was trying to think like where is he and you know i remember turning to heather thinking like i don't think he's on earth he's like in yeah. maybe he's in a simulation like he's in like a like in a coffin with something hooked up to his brain and he's in like a virtual reality simulation. And then I was thinking, that's really stupid. That's not what it is. And, you know, just second guessing everything. And then finally they show you what it is. I was like, there's no way I could have guessed this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That, that penultimate episode where, where it's basically, uh, uh, basically it's focused on the time that Regina King and Dr. Manhattan meet. And how it sets in motion their relationship, but it also clears up so much about why is Doctor Manhattan back when he was supposedly on another planet? What what is he doing here? And it also explains to us finally what the where exactly uh, Adrian Veidt is, and why is he struggling in the way it is, way he is, and and what's going on? I mean, the, all these threads that just seemed like they had nothing to do with one another all start converging. And it's such a brilliant, brilliantly written and and directed episode, especially in terms of its editing. And, uh, I just thinking about it it makes me want to just go rewatch that episode. Uh, it it, it was stunning how they pulled it off.
0: And it, it had, it, the way it dealt with such dark material and also had a sense of humor it makes me want to just. I know that it's probably impossible to deal with Alan Moore in any way. Just be like, just watch it, asshole. I think you might like it. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think he would have loved the fact that the 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 mask of Rorschach basically became the 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 look of a white supremacy. white supremacist group he would have loved that because that was that because i I remember reading a quote from him when fans would come up and tell him i like rorschach he's like he's like my guy and he would think okay well i don't want to know you i don't want to ever see you again because rorschach is not the moral compass you think he is
0: right i was telling heather when i read the Watchmen, however many years ago or even saw the movie like There was a disconnect between between what Rorschach looked like and how he was written, and what his ideals are and what he stands for. I like there was some kind of block where I wasn't paying attention to it. I didn't realize what a nut he was, and (laughs) uh, I mean I knew he was crazy, but I'm saying all the his weird anti liberal rhetoric and stuff. I didn't pick up on it it took for the times we live in now for me now to understand that stuff. It was like a more innocent time, I guess in my life where I didn't understand that people feel this way about things that it was just fictional ravings of, a uh, an insane comic book character. I didn't realize that. Holy shit. People really feel this way, you know? And so when I yeah. watch it now, I was like, holy shit was, uh, was he really always like this? And yes, he was. It shows that Alan Moore, uh, Really knows something and he tapped into something way back then and uh, something that I wasn't, would you say, world weary enough or just wasn't didn't understand or wasn't paying attention to.
1: Yeah, it, what what one of the things that more tapped into in writing character like Rorschach is the, the whole the the uh, the homophobic the homophobia and the far extreme right wing. Uh, opinions of a character like Roy that has always been in this country, and especially existed during the eighties, when you had you know Ronald Reagan's tenure in the uh, in in the White House, and Margaret Thatcher was doing her damage in the UK, and that basically uh, was good fuel for for more who didn't like that things were like this, but right. felt a way to exercise it. And turning into a compelling character who is by most standards very repulsive. I mean I I like the character of Rorschach as far as being a compelling character. But he is not the one you should be following. (laughs) But I mean you could probably apply that that to a lot of the characters in the book. And that's kind of the book's point where keeping these characters into the gray – Should be should be the right approach, because if you're going to do a story about what would be like if superheroes really existed, well, it would be a freaking chaotic mess.
0: I almost got the feeling that Night Owl, who teamed up with Rorschach, was kind of like he would have to tell himself, oh, he doesn't really think that you know he's he he says that but he doesn't mean it that's like the only way he can work with them by telling himself that is the, what a feeling i got you know
1: yeah yeah i mean it, it, and you also learn a lot about hypocrisy in terms of the superhero the superheroes the, the revelation about who who the justice was And his relation to other superheroes, when you realize that they're just some of them are just just doing it for the publicity, or for you know for their own little agendas. And Hooded Justice was like, "No, I'm doing this because regular people, good people, are getting screwed over," and and it's really it's really hard to live a life like that and not get compromised. In in a really bad way. And that's the kind of trap that Rorschach eventually fell into when it's like, Hey, if I have to seriously maim someone or just outright kill them in order to, to bring justice, that's what I'll have to do. And it's, but funny uh, go ahead.
0: Going from uh, the original watchman, when Rorschach chooses that he can't keep all this in, he can't keep the secret, So he chooses death, basically. And, Mm -hmm. uh, like when I first read it, when I was younger, I was thinking, oh man, no, poor Rorschach or whatever. But now I'm like, no, he needed to go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and you get the feeling both in the book and the comic book that he wanted that the release of death.
0: Right. He was miserable, miserable human being. And he always was, and he always would be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I think that even for him, it, it was it was getting just too much. And I, I lo- one of the things I loved about the movie is who is the who is the actor that plays him in the movie? Uh, oh, Jackie O'Reilly. Jackie O'Reilly. R- he's basically on the verge of tears when he's begging Manhattan to kill him.
0: Oh, he's so good in that.
1: Yes. Yes. He did a
0: fantastic job.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I, I I have never been more impressed by a TV show in so long for it to continue its quality all throughout the episodes and to basically come in for like the best landing possible. And uh, it's just full of grace notes that I keep thinking about. And uh, that's that's just a mark of a good television show. It I remember had
0: great nods uh, to the graphic novel, also.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I can remember telling you on Facebook Messenger, uh, I'm like five episodes in. I already know this is the best TV show of the year. Yeah. And I I was glad that uh, that was confirmed when I finished the rest of it up. So, uh, yeah.
0: All right, Adam, you have watched Netflix's new series called The Witcher. Yes. And I'm curious because you haven't read any of the books, have you?
1: I've started the first one
0: much like Steven, you've started it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Have you uh, played any of the games?
1: I played a lot of Witcher three, but I have not uh, completed it because as you're going to find out one day, it's a big ass game. Right. Uh, I've, I also have the second game installed, which was, I believe uh, console wise was Xbox exclusive. Uh, And it's backwards compatible for the Xbox One. Uh, I played a little of it, but I think I kind of uh, love the open world uh, aspect of Witcher 3.
0: I got Witcher 3 for Christmas, the complete edition with all the DLCs, but I've decided I'm not going to play it until I finish all the books. In case there's some kind of spoiler in there, because I know that it takes place after the novels.
1: Well, uh, Witcher 3, uh, maybe that's a good idea because Witcher 3 basically uh, ends the story as far as the adaptation goes. Right. As far as I know, CD Projekt Red has no plans to make another one, so maybe that's a good idea.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to wait in case something gets leaked in there. I don't want to because I'm too close to the story now. Like if something gets, I've almost gotten, like I'll see somebody who's like, well, actually in the book, the way it ends, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Get away from this. Close the browser. Holy shit. Almost blew it. But uh, because, you know, when you're this invested in a story after six books, you want to just see it to the end without somebody telling you, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, and for what it's worth, depending on the choices you make in the game, the ending will be different.
0: Oh, nice. What's funny is Ross and I reading the books at the same time, you know, I'll say, hey, what chapter are you on? Mm-hmm. and he'll say oh i'm on chapter 8 and i'm like oh okay uh have you gotten to oh wait how do i word this because if you ha- if he hasn't gotten to this spot then you know cuz we want to say hey, have you read this part and a lot of times i'll be like ah oh, just forget it i'll talk to him about it when we record <laughs> you know <laughs> uh
1: this is an idea that maybe you should consider if you haven't already when you're done with the books maybe you can turn your thoughts to the video game just, just from an adaptation standpoint uh or or the in oh, yeah. the way that in okay. the way it handles events from the novel uh just figured i mean that that would be a good idea
0: yeah that would be fun because I definitely want to talk about this series with Ross, but I'd love to talk to you about it from the point of view that uh, you're not as close to the material as yeah. having read the books. Because there's some I- people <laughs> who can't separate book from screen. I'm yeah. very good at that. I'm. Re- I remember Bill and I, we would always tussle over this that he would get very upset over changes but i'm very accepting of changes mm-hmm. and i'm and
1: i think adaptation should be let, be that way i mean being being uh, so slavishly detailed and uh, uh being so uh loyal to the book like that can get you only so far i i, right. I really think that Anyone making an adaptation needs to put their own stamp on the on the material uh, because basically we've all – if you read a book, if you're reading an entire series of books, you've got in your own imagination the way that it plays out, how it yeah. looks, how it feels, and – no one that no one's going to be able to come close to that so you have you have to make those decisions as someone who's creating an adaptation
0: yeah and i'm so tired of people getting upset over like well this character wasn't black in the books
1: it's oh like, my gosh man is a
0: shit they found the best man. actor for it you know i'm just tired of it i don't want to hear that argument Anymore. Yeah,
1: it's it's and I knew uh, in the series when the Tris Marigold character showed up, I knew someone was go, oh, this is just bullshit. And I'm like, you're yeah. you're you're really out of your death.
0: Well, a lot of a lot of uh, people who played the video game that haven't read the books can't seem to get it in their heads that they haven't adapted the video game. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like it's based on books these are stories that are written in a book that you could go read right now. It's not based on a video game, but I think once people come to accept things and they just watch it a few times, they separate the two. Like for instance, you know, like the book, it with the movie, it, we know they're Mm -hmm. different. Uh, we know that the books are usually always better, but there might be Mm -hmm. some, kick-ass sequences in the film and hey they tried their best part one's way better or something like that but it's okay like for instance the i think a good example of separating book from screen is the dark tower uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna hold anything against Idris elba he was fantastic he brought his his on-screen uh, charisma to the role and he was great It's just the film around him was a pile of shit, you know, and it's it's not his fault. He gave it his all. He brought his Idris Elba-ness to the role, and Mm -hmm. uh, I won't hold that against him. If they made a good film starring him, that would be fine, you know.
1: Now, have you had a chance to see it, Chapter 2?
0: No, actually, I haven't.
1: Okay, well, I, I I do think it's a little self indulgent. It, it sure as hell doesn't need to be eight hours long. I mean, three hours long, <laughs> but hours, yeah. but it nailed a lot of things about uh, about that section of the book. Uh, I mean, especially uh, in particular, the way that Pennywise can be a threat just by psychologically reducing these grown up losers to their childhood like selves. That's, that's, that's one of his powers. And the way that the, that latter part of the story addresses trauma and the way that we're never done with it or the way that we can either live with it and, or, or the way that it can just basically, uh, ending us. Yeah. And I think the movie nailed that aspect of it. Uh, I think a good – one of the best adaptations is Doctor Sleep, which wasn't released that not long ago and I believe is going to be out on DVD and Blu-ray pretty soon with a director's cut, yeah, which I, I am very fascinated with. But the book the, – but the movie adaptation itself is a great balancing between the book and the – being a sequel to the Stephen King movie when – and you weren't able to see that yet, were you? No. No. Okay, well, when you do, I would love to talk with you about it, because okay. I think it makes some great decisions, considering it's trying to please both camps. Right. People who love and, the movie and people who love the book, and I'm kind of both of those.
0: I was very confused by their the way they – when they – that first trailer confused the shit out of me, because I knew it was different <laughs> than the Kubrick movie – And, of course, Warner Brothers are like, of course we own the movie, so we're going to tie it into our own property. Yeah. Uh, It makes sense, but also at the same time, I knew Stephen King hated the Kubrick version, Uh, so I was very confused over all of it. And I'm glad to hear that it turned out well, and I do want to see it. Yeah. Because what do I care if Stephen King didn't like the film? It's quite, it's a, a masterful film. Uh, you know, the, uh, the shining. And uh-huh. so it's, why not tie into it? You know? Right. And I also want to know if uh ready player one did a better job of footage from the, <laughs> I wonder if that, does that take anything away from the film after you've seen ready player one and the scenes in the shining? Well, I- not
1: necessarily because uh, in Ready Player One it's just a passing reference, despite the fact that it's a well-produced reference. Yeah. But in Doctor Sleep, it holds so much more meaning to return to the return to the hotel or to see imagery from the hotel. Right. And it, it, it just uh, it, it, it's imagery used for different purposes.
0: Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. And of course I love Ewan McGregor, so
1: it's Yeah, that. he's he's really really good here.
0: So I want to know what you think of Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia.
1: Oh, he nailed it, man. He wears that he wears that uh role like a glove. And we were talking about uh, earlier adaptations between the source material and the game. And Cavill is a big fan of the game. He's played it more, like t- at least two or three times because, I, like I told you, there are different endings to get depending on the choices you make. And I'm sure he's familiar with the source material. But I noticed that he he captured a lot of his the mannerisms of Geralt from the video game, his speech. The way he carries himself, his body language, stuff like that—I mean, that—that's like, I—I I, after a while, I just go, "Yep, that's Geralt, all right." He, the, the, Cavil, my my awareness that it's Cavil disappears quite quickly within watching the show.
0: Yeah, what's funny is because you know I have the Geralt that's in my brain that I imagine from reading these books. And uh, I think that he does a great job. I can tell that he loves the character. How can you not love the character of Geralt? And I can tell it means a lot to him, and he wants to be true to the character. And I think a highlight of the entire season is the third episode of Betrayer Moon, the one where he fights the Striga. And I think that that episode is fantastic. And I've actually You're, watched it like four times now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, not to spoil anything, but that's one of the that inspires one of the best quests in The Witcher Three. Oh, nice! And it goes it, it goes about it a little bit differently and in a little more depth in the video game. So uh, when you get to that part, I I, I definitely want to hear what your reactions from. But when that part of the story was playing, I'm like, Oh, this is that quest from the video game, because I haven't read the books that I haven't read the books at that point. That and they is, handled that beautifully.
0: That is the very first story that, uh, Andre subkovsky wrote of it's called the witcher. And that was his introduction to the character and fighting okay. the striga. So it's like special to, you know, his story, And I thought it was really cool the way they adapted it for the TV show. You could tell as you were watching it that they'd thought long and hard how to portray this and they put a lot into it
1: yeah, they really nail this world and, and there's like some crossover obviously between the dark fantasy elements of the story. And we just got done wrapping up earlier this year with game of Thrones, which was all about the nitty gritty of living in a medieval time. And uh, the way you deal with characters who are morally in the gray, but Witcher, I think handles it so much better. uh with this, with this uh, first season, and I'm hoping that however long the show lasts, that they can continue that quality and that focus.
0: Right, me too. Uh, I like I've seen some people say that I because I never read the the Song of Ice and Fire books, the Game of Thrones books, but apparently, mm-hmm. for the TV show, they really toned down the magic, fantastical aspects of the book in the show. And uh, I've seen people who have watched The Witcher and they they love how they've embraced magic on the show because they really downplayed that in Game of Thrones. Not to compare the two, but I know people do anyway, but they like that they've embraced magic on this show.
1: Yeah, well, I've read all the available Songs of Ice and Fire books and the magic, the more the magic, the dragons, the White Walkers. Those are on the periphery, but they're not the focus in the books as well.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Now, so I don't know if that's going to be more prominent in the next two books whenever the hell they come out, but uh, I I kind of felt like in that second half stretch of the Game of Thrones show where – they there was the, there was the emphasis towards let's bring back the spectacle so let's bring back the dragons and the freaking white walkers and some magic and stuff like that and, uh, and with the Witcher there's a great balance between the more fantastical elements and the human uh, element of the story.
0: I know that uh, you know Ross and I just geeking out over the books. We love when Geralt does the sign of Ard which was kind of his force push type of yes. thing. And when they did that in the show, I just kind of like, oh, yeah. You know, just like, yeah. oh, so excited about it. And I'd You seen, get to
1: use those in the game too. And that's that was one of the references. I was going, oh, he's using the spells now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he does his little sign. And I loved when he does that against the striga and sends it like way down the hallway. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Love it. And so I was really eating that up and uh one complaint I've read from some people of course it didn't bother me because I knew what was going on was that there are time period changes throughout the show and the 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 producers of the show decided okay we're not going to say what year it is back and forth over and over mm-hmm. again and that might have become tedious after a while if they had chosen to do that so yeah Instead, they gave little clues that it was different time periods, and they were just hoping the viewer was paying attention. Do you think they were successful in that?
1: I It, it required a little uh, work from my end as a viewer uh, in terms of just paying attention or watching the scene unfold and letting then I'm piecing it together. It's a lot like watching the movie Dunkirk where – each of the timelines have like their own little title card like this is this part of the story and this is when it takes place you don't realize that the three sub three plots are basically occurring at different points during the day but you don't get throughout the telling of the movie you don't get these updates to let you know where you're at it just assumes that you are smart and focused enough to figure out what's going on and i don't think that the way that the witcher handles timelines makes it a frustrating experience i think i think it actually forces you to pay attention to an aspect of the show where otherwise you may have just been you know glazing over at it i think it's a smart idea
0: yeah, I think it turns out well, but you have to be patient. And yeah. as we know, some viewers aren't patient. Nope. Uh, they're just like, oh, I don't, what the hell is going on? I'm <laughs> out of here. I, my One of my favorite little uh, clues, there's clues early enough as the first episode, but in the third episode when uh, Geralt is dealing with King Foltest and it's talking about his dead deceased sister, Ada, and then in Yennefer's storyline, we see young Foltest and his sister at and they're little kids. Yeah. I could see, for some people, they're just like, wait, what the hell? What? What is going on? And you're like, <laughs> "How? that guy's an adult when we cut to Geralt, but now he's a little kid. You know, it's just like, that's the first clue people get that, wait a second, they're not in the same timeline. And I think it's kind of cool that they do that. Yeah. Give you a little... Uh, clue there and i love at the end you know there's a part where well at the beginning siri turns and looks and you don't know what she's looking at and she like she feels like somebody's watching her and she turns away but then in the final episode you see or maybe it's the seventh episode you uh she turns and you well you see who's looking at her and then she turns and that person's gone i thought that was a little a cool callback there too
1: yeah, like the, there are events that occur like during the during the the night at uh, during which uh, the kingdom of uh, I'm, I'm really b- bad with names Sintra. Yeah, not, that's that's the one the mages are defending. I'm talking about oh. the night when the queen is uh, killed and Siri has to be rushed off incognito
0: yeah that's Sintra later on, oh it's, okay, it's <laughs> okay well, I love the
1: revelation on. that you didn't realize Gerald was in that castle the whole time,
0: yeah, yeah, that was pretty crazy because, I didn't yeah,
1: I didn't realize that they had you know knocked him up and threw him in the dungeon and just just left him there that's that that was a great little revelation there
0: that was an interesting change from the books too that didn't bother me. I just kind of was like, oh, okay, they chose to go this way. And that was fine, uh, because if you read the books, and Ross and I have talked about this a little, the two books of short stories are in different time periods of Geralt's life, and there's no set time period. Like, uh, for instance, whenever they introduce in the book when Geralt meets Yaskir in the TV show, well, yeah. he, he never meets him for the first time in the books. He just already knows him. He's friends with him. He already right. knows everybody. So I can understand how in a TV show, it's not interesting when you just know everybody when you arrive everywhere. Like, oh, I know who you are. Uh, it's more interesting to meet somebody for the first time. So I understand why they change things like that because
1: as a as someone who has been reading the books do you feel like especially in the i mean i know that some of these are short stories mm-hmm. uh and then some of them are just well or just uh trying to trying to uh, maintain an ongoing narrative thread do you feel at times the witcher stories are episodic and if yeah. so does that hurt them at all or or really it actually it actually doesn't
0: they are episodic in the short stories, but then there's a a, a huge storyline, epic storyline in the novels that there are no, like, ends, endings to the novels. It, more like, mm-hmm. and this happens until you get the next book kind of a thing. Okay. So I could see how they could take elements of the novels and figure out, like, roadmap a huge story. Yeah. Yeah, it would be much easier on for viewers that way. Cause you're not jumping through time periods, but yeah, I felt like it was a smart idea to tackle the short stories for season one, kind of an introduction to him and the characters and the way sort of destiny ends the second uh, book of short stories. I, I remember uh, Ross and I talking about it and me saying this the way this book ends would be the perfect way to end season one of the show. And I think they should do that. And then season two would be the first novel. And the way season one ends is exactly how the Sword of Destiny ends. So, like, as you read it, you're like, oh, this is a good ending. So they did the, exactly that. So I was very happy with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't feel like I was let down by the the cliffhanger of it because uh, I mean you're you're it, it it gives you enough to feel like okay well I'm I, now I'm wondering about what's happened to this character but these two characters finally 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 meet each other and it ends on this great little emotional endpoint so uh, I, I thought the TV show ended just fine.
0: And they have a great relationship, so I'm hoping that the season two portrays that. Uh, yeah. There's no reason why they shouldn't. I'm really happy with the cast they picked out. And I just want to talk to you about the sword fighting in the first episode. What did you think of that?
1: Loved it. I, uh, I absolutely loved it. And that, and that climactic sword fight... Where it just feels like it's all one take, or it's a collection of one take, where the camera is following behind Gerald, or maybe from a third person perspective. And uh, I, I, I mean, he's just mowing down these guys, and they're probably not that good with swords, so he's able. So he's able to just. I mean, some of those kills are really, really grisly. Yeah. But uh. But I I, I the camera work is great, and Cavill clearly trained thoroughly with uh with his swordsmanship so he looked authentic the, uh, it was just great and bloody and then he fights with uh what's his what's her name Renfrey Renfrey and she's a better she puts up a bigger fight than you think but yeah. it's also a fight that is more about what's going on between these two characters from an emotional standpoint, and you kind of feel like one character is kind of holding back because he or yeah. she may not want to kill the other,
0: right? And it, it, they they mention it in the show, but also in the book is that she no man can best her in combat. She seems to be able to fight and kill any man she fights. So uh, yeah, she was a really badass fighter, and they really portrayed that well in the show.
1: Yeah, and I'm kind of, I I was sad to see her go.
0: Yeah, that's that's the way we're supposed to feel, too. Like, it's the mistake that haunts Geralt for the rest of his life, basically. That mistake he made, that he made the wrong decision, and it haunts him. And uh, I thought they did a really good job of that. And uh, I gotta say, when we get to see mages fighting each other in the show, too, I thought that was pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah, that was badass.
0: It was kind of like X Men fighting each other with their different powers, <laughs> and I thought that was really cool. There's a fight between this mage forts and the the evil Nilfgaardian guy with swords. And yeah. He keeps regenerating his sword. I thought that was really cool. Fight choreography, also. I just uh, I I was really pleased with the show and you know, I had to sit and think about changes for a while. Like, okay, yeah, this is different. How will this affect things going down? And then I was like, you know what? It's a different beast. It's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. it'll, it'll drive yourself. I'm sure people like, you know, I already said it. Like, I know that we're, there are people who read the books for game of Thrones and watch the show and are like, man, this is different. You know, you uh, just, yeah, to, <laughs> you just had to just go along with it. Right. Right. And did you were you able to separate Game of Thrones from the books?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, of course the, the the show is what got me into the books, but I was reading them as that first season uh, continued onward, and I think by the second season I had finished all of them. Now I forget when the fifth book, the last book that came out, they came out in 2012, so I forgot what season uh, that that fell under, but I would, but I, I managed to have a picture of what these characters looked like in the books and how they came about in the shows. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't get frustrated that one version was trying to overrule the other. It's like watching, it's like reading the Harry Potter books and you've got those characters and you've got the actors of uh, uh, faces in your mind uh, but I I, I kind of love that I have to do some legwork in terms of how I interpret the characters uh, in my imagination. Right. So you didn't do um, any
0: letter letter writing campaigns, protests. No, I don't. I don't
1: do that kind of <laughs> shit. Look, I, I don't have any control over how adaptations of source material get made, or even how the source material itself gets made. I just I'm just kind of along for the ride.
0: Did you hear about the? Uh... I don't know if I talked to you about this but Entertainment Weekly, you know it's funny because the Friday morning reviews for The Witcher came out and the first mm-hmm. review I saw was Entertainment Weekly's that said basically it was garbage and that they gave it an F and I was like, "Oh no! What?" And as I looked on Twitter, people were saying very complimentary things. Like, oh, this is awesome. I've already watched three episodes, whatever. And, you know, I was seeing some good word of mouth. But I was like, well, what was Entertainment Weekly's deal? And so I started reading that review. And then you figured out that they didn't finish watching the first episode. They skipped ahead to the fifth episode, didn't realize what was going on, and then just said this show was bad and gave it an F.
1: And yeah, uh, and, sometimes sometimes the review job goes to someone who doesn't necessarily want to watch or you know, want to watch the show in the first place.
0: Yeah, and I was just like, "Oh, what a dick, you know." And I <laughs> I know the guy who reviewed it. I've heard him on EW radio on Sirius before and you know i could just tell he's not like someone that i really care about his opinion but (laughs) he writes for entertainment weekly so the entertainment weekly grade for the show is f which i think you know at least give it a c like say hey if you're into this kind of fantasy type stuff you might want to check it out but no he's like it's nakedly terrible just don't watch it and i thought that was pretty shitty
1: yeah, he just refused. It sounds like he just refused to engage with the show on any particular level, you, like it first, was a waste of his time.
0: The first two paragraphs are just about Henry Cavill's wig and how he can't get yeah. over the wig, and uh, and I was just like, okay, I can already tell right away that this guy's opinion doesn't matter. But yeah. rarely do people's uh, opinions of people I don't know matter anyway, right? You know? Mostly, I was just disappointed that you know, some reviewers that I like might say like, Oh, it doesn't look like my bag. I'm not going to check it out or I'm not going to be reviewing it. And it's like, Oh wow. You know that already. Okay. Uh, right. Maybe this reviewer for entertainment weekly should have said that. Like, I'm not really into these type of shows. I don't want to watch this. Somebody else do it. But, mm-hmm. uh, I like that a lot of people called him out and basically saying that, you know, you, if you respected your job and what it is and that you represent, this magazine you would have gone through the trouble of watching your assignment you know instead of just writing a uh a hilarious article and how ridiculous it is and how unwatchable it is you know what i mean because definitely right. the show is not unwatchable and no, a lot of no. when you see how, how many times have you watched something that you like and you see people say oh, the acting is terrible, or the dialogue is laughable. And you're like, really? I didn't get that at all from this. And are they an expert in dialogue, or are they just not fans of the material and they want to bag on it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I used to subscribe to Rolling Stone uh, when I was a teenager and when I was in my early 20s. And that's the home of... uh, Supposed critic Peter Travers and he (laughs) has wrote on more than one occasion a review for a movie in which he just simply doesn't want to talk about the movie. So he'll talk about something that's kind of tangentially uh, about it like his review for like the first Harry Potter film was basically like his little rant about Hollywood putting more emphasis on, uh, you know, Big budget movie making blockbuster stuff instead of movies of any real quote substantive substantial value and and sometimes there were music reviews that were worded that way uh, it, you can just tell when the reviewer just doesn't give a shit but they've got a job to do and they've got a deadline that they have to meet, so they just turn in whatever they turn in and uh yeah that's that's a uh that's a real letdown, not just as someone who has interest in the show, but as someone who just simply reads the, the content that your uh, publication provides. So you can tell a half-assed attempt at writing when you see it.
0: One of the things that drives me nuts, and tell me if this drives you nuts, you'll see it in comments a lot on Twitter, where somebody will say, like, oh, wow, this really sucked. And someone will say oh, man, I was really looking forward to that. Now I'm not going to bother watching. And it's like, why? Just because that person didn't like it? You don't share their opinion, do you? Make up your own mind. It drives me nuts when people say that.
1: Yeah, I've seen that a lot as well.
0: Yeah, I hate that. I've seen it forever, like when people say that. Like, oh, man, this really sucked. Oh, I was going to go see it tonight. I just... Refunded my tickets. No longer going. It's like what? <laughs> yeah,
1: and and that and that always and that usually happens with reviews in which the reviewer does not say I didn't like this, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try try to give it a chance. That that's just that's just the hive mind of some people.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. You should always make up your own mind. Right. Uh, I don't share anyone's opinion. Uh, you know. I like what I like. And when somebody gives it a bad review, I'm going to go, well, I knew, I know it's good because it's my taste. And if I like it, then it's good. And some person may not like it, you know? And, yeah. uh, when they, if they say don't like something I like next time they tell me, Oh, I hated this movie. I'm going to be like, well, you know, you didn't like that last movie that I love. So screw you. <laughs> you know <laughs> That's what it comes down to—our own opinions on things, Adam. Right. And Adam, I want to thank you so much for joining me for this recording. I know it was hard to nail down a time through. Let's say the holidays are wacky time, are they not?
1: They are, but I mean, the lead up the the lead up to the actual holidays is just as frustrating.
0: And it's always like. I want to spend this much money for Christmas and it's always, you end up spending more and it's stressful. Yeah. And hopefully we live to see another holiday. And (laughs) (laughs) I've seen articles, Adam, that said breaking down the witcher's complicated crisscrossing timeline. We'll give you clues here and you have to read it. But I'm like, is it that hard people? No, but I guess you have to have an article, right?
1: Yeah, I guess In an article that tells you if there are uh, post credit scenes.
0: Yeah. Is there a post credit scene to uh I saw one, you know, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is the I can't even remember what it's called, but it's like the clickbait thing. Yes,
1: we're, film clickbait. I know exactly which one you're talking about.
0: And it was it's all about, like, how did J.J. Abrams get that actor to return? And the answer is, he called him on the phone. <laughs> but they were able to fill two pages of information till they got to that point where they said he called him up on the phone.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just ridiculous.
1: And those are the kind of articles that you've talked about on your podcast where you've tried to read them, and it's, like, a good portion of it is just mostly information that you already know and the people who would be reading an article like this already know all that shit. So why don't they just, you know, say something? I mean, it's an internet article. It's not like you have column space that you have to fight for. So just give us the facts and end it and be on to the next thing.
0: I want somebody to write a movie about content farms. I've talked about (laughs) these companies that own, uh, all of these websites and they pay writers piddly shit to crank out content to put on these vast websites because clicks mean pennies. Right. And everybody who's clicking on these shitty little stories to get pennies that add up to millions or however much it is, uh, people need to stop clicking on shit and know that it's garbage. Like, uh, how many times I know I'm going through a little bit of a digression here when you're on a website and you're reading an article, but then right at the bottom of the article, it has something like, you'll never believe what this actress looks like now. Yep. Or, uh, you'll never like most people don't know these new, uh, laws in your state where you could get arrested and they show these two hot girls being handcuffed or something. (laughs) (laughs) They have these everywhere at the bottom of websites and they're all garbage articles that they just want you to click on for pennies from these content farms. And if everyone was made aware hopefully people are aware of this, but don't click on those. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just so sick of seeing those. I won't revisit a website that has those.
1: Yeah. I don't blame you.
0: Because uh, I get sick of looking at those uh you'll never believe
1: You'll oh, never guess what happened to this person.
0: One that made me laugh was the uh, uh what was her Missy Pyle, who played an alien in uh in Galaxy Quest. Do you know who Missy yeah. Pyle is? Uh
1: not right off hand, no.
0: And it's hilarious because it's a picture of her from Galaxy Quest and it says You'll never believe what this actress actually looks like. And then it shows her IMDb (sighs) picture of what she really looks like because she's been in other shows. But there's someone going, oh, what does she look like? I'm going to click on this. Oh, she's a babe, man. Nice. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Don't click on that. It's pathetic. (laughs) And uh, that's my rant for the evening, Adam. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) What? I hate the internet is what I'm trying to say. Oh, sorry. <sighs> I'm letting all this anger go for the new year, Adam. That's why I'm getting okay. a lot now. Fair enough. Uh, I I just want to list off some things real quick. Okay. Uh, I really want to see 1917. Yes. Sam Mendes' new war film. Did mm-hmm. I get that right? Is it Mendez or Mendes.
1: I've heard it pronounced as Mendez.
0: Mendez nuts.
1: Oh, God.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, So I definitely why want did to I see.
1: Not, why did I not see that coming?
0: <laughs> so I want to see uh, 1917. <laughs> I love war movies. I love. I like... hate
1: you, Jason. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I, I don't know what came over me, but uh, I'm excited about that. Like war movies with people getting their limbs blown off, stuff like that. Especially with fantastic sound mixes.
1: Holy shit! That's the only way I'm going to be. That's the only thing I'm going to be able to call them now.
0: When someone, <laughs> hey Adam, who directed 1917? Are you going to be able to not do it now?
1: I can't do it now. I'll have to say Sam Mendy's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> You got to. <laughs> Highbrow uh, comedy uh, here on the entertainment uh, land. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. Uh, now here's my problem, Adam. I'm not excited about the new James Bond film. Okay. I've watched the new trailer and I don't care what's wrong with me.
1: Well, I mean, you've told me uh, on more than one occasion that the series has just never meant that much to you, or maybe there was a drop off point point. And you didn't really care. But I think what also cemented your position was uh, Mikey Newman made a video about Skyfall earlier earlier this year. I think he did, like at the end of December or sometime during the fall. And you go in watching it thinking that it's going to be a celebration of what is one of the more highly regarded Daniel Craig Bond films. It ultimately is like his goodbye letter to the franchise because the failings of what he thinks are of the character compounded with the horrible realities of what an awful person Ian Fleming is. is just <laughs> yeah. It just creates something that Mikey Newman cannot connect with. And that's – as someone who has grew up with the Bond films, I was one of those guys – who, when TBS would do their Bond marathons, mm-hmm. I would try to record each one of them. And TBS had all the had the distribute the broadcast rights to every one of the Bond films from Connery to Dalton, except for the George Lazenby one. Yeah, and uh, so I had to wait a few years for that could be that could be come out on VHS, and some of that stuff about the moral ambiguity or the misogyny or the sexism or the racism flew by my head. And, but now, uh, I can't get past some of that stuff. in some of those films And the Connery era films are a little more problematic where, uh, where I can find them charm. I can find the movies ultimately charming because really, uh, there is a bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nudge about the whole thing. But Connery's bond is, is not someone who I could consider a hero, uh, it just just the kind of guy who can stop the bad guys from doing it, but not someone who you know you can approve of every simple decision he makes, especially when it comes towards women. And I, I, I think that in the hands of other actors, namely Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton, and I think under in certain cases under Daniel Craig, where that character. Has moved away from the problematic uh, aspects of, of the character as en- envisioned by Ian Fleming, who was an, apparently an asshole in real life. Uh, but it's a frustrating thing when you're trying to watch a series that has existed since like the 60s, the early 60s, and it just feels like it could be pro- more progressive. It could turn into uh, there is still opportunity for the Bond films to not hew so closely to to tradition and can still be respectable. And it just feels like the Eon productions who still holds the rights to the character just won't let it happen. That's why someone like uh, Danny Boyle can get hired to do a Bond film. And you think he's going to knock this out of the park because he's got, you know, great ideas and he drop walks away from the project because uh, Elon productions just won't see eye to eye and yeah. you would love to see Christopher Nolan tackle the bond film because you but he, as he stated in interviews is I would change it dramatically and you know right. that the the produce the uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson is not going or are, are not going to do that yeah. so what I keep hoping and what I keep hoping uh for a bond film is to 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 not go so much with how how do I put this to break away from tradition you 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 want to see certain hallmarks keep in place but to, but to break away from tradition in the way that it views specifically it's women it's female characters that's the re- one of the reasons I love a movie like Casino Royale is that you've got one of the best female characters in the movie, the, the Ava Green character, and you've got a Bond who is fallible, and you, he can be called on as bullshit. And that that, that was making Judy Dench him, especially during the Pierce Brosnan era, was one of the best things, because she calls him on his bullshit, and he doesn't have a snappy comeback. He just sits there and takes it in stride. And a movie like Casino Royale, where... It shows that Bond has his faults and uh, it can be a bit of a learning block for him. And lesser Bond films like Spectre or Quantum of Solace isn't even interested in, in a scenario where Bond has to uh, reckon with the mistakes that he's made. This is what I'm trying – I'm hoping for every Bond film that comes out that they can – they can make better choices in terms of portraying that character and not having them tied down to traditions uh, back when, you know, you can make a movie about, you know, a main character who is misogynistic or sexist and people can steer cheer him on. That's that that's great. I'm not saying those movies should not be, uh, you know, done away with or forgotten, but society changes people changes and art can change along with it. So uh for this last outing for Daniel Craig, I hope that it makes better decisions on how to do that because Spectre doubled down on bad bad decisions. So um so yeah, I can understand it's it's really kind of frustrating to try to watch those movies and you are not going to be able to avoid how it lets you down in terms of a of a character who you you would think would be better than this.
0: Yeah, I think my main thing, and I I came to this realization is that my entire life James Bond had been rammed down my throat because my dad loved James Bond. <laughs> yeah, there, dad, I
1: have to consider that aspect. <laughs> we
0: had the James Bond albums everywhere. My dad had James Bond artwork. So it was like his thing where there wasn't enough room for it to really be my thing. you Do, do you know what I mean? It's almost like, right. whoa, whoa, I can never like it this much, so I don't think it's really my thing. I mean, sure, it's neat and everything. I always love spy gadgets. That's pretty much what I got from the movies, is the parts with Q were my favorite parts, you know? Uh, or, like... You know certain sequences, skiing, chases, or whatever. You know that was fun. Right. Chases are always fun in the James Bond movies, but I wasn't really that all that interested otherwise. You know, later on, I found my spy of choice, which was Chuck, which of course is heavily influenced <laughs> by James Bond and that kind of spy type of thing. But I think right. that's more of my bag than say lighter fare, should we say? And yeah. So. I, I- I think that the Mission Impossible movies are doing more of what I'd rather see in an espionage-type film than James Bond.
1: That's kind of the thing that's working against the series is for like a good two decades, 60s and 70s, the Bond films were like the action, the pinnacle of at least Hollywood action movie making. And then we get into the 80s. And Spielberg shows up with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: John Woo eventually comes out of his shell, and you've got people like John McTiernan are doing is doing the start of his great three film run with like Predator and Die Hard and Hunt for October and stuff like that. People are and Jackie Chan eventually comes onto the scene, and these mov these bond films kind of seem like really dated even in yeah. terms of the spectacle but like you said the mission impossible movies have been like the top drawer for espionage espionage films because not only are the spe- is the spectacle good but the character writing is so much better especially with these last two movies where uh it isn't just it, it isn't just uh you know vehicles for Tom Cruise uh they can be more than just that in terms of his character and I love the way that Fallout dealt with uh you know how the, how is this character what what a, what is the mindset of a character who's been in the game this long and is it is it tripping him up somewhat yeah and I really would I really hope that the Bond films can do this at some particular point either with this film or you know, going on into the future. So uh, I I remember when Spectre came out, you had like four or five other spy films that came out the year, and they were all better than it. Like you had uh, not not only the Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, but you had the man from UNCLE. Hell, the the Melissa McCarthy spoof spy came out, and it was better (laughs) than Spectre. It it was absolutely crazy that it it, – you know, the Bond films are basically hampered by their own tradition when really they should be more progressive like some fifty years down the road. It's it it's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. That was really good too.
1: Yeah, that was way better too. But uh but yeah, um I, I I can under I can understand that you probably just don't have any interest in it. But I'm I'm hoping they can have one more we can get one more good Bond film before Craig leaves because I felt after watching Casino, I was like, oh man, this is they finally nailed it, and this yeah. is the guy I'm going to be following into battle. Casino Royale is a
0: great movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just been this ridiculous, just this ridiculous thing where I, at some particular point there was a suspicion that Eon Productions was going to sell the rights to the Bond character to like a studio like Warner's, which I felt would have been a much better place because uh, you could have had a chance for the character to grow and uh, not just remind people that this was made by an awful person. But, you know, like like we keep saying, we're not in control of how these things get made or the decisions that, uh, you know, that make them. So we're just here along for the ride.
0: You know, what's funny is on YouTube because I was uh, looking at different uh – Witcher stuff, like what people <laughs> thought of Witcher or whatever. There was one, it was like, why critics aren't liking The Witcher? And I was like, oh, let me check this out. And the guy is talking about The Witcher, and he goes, The reason critics don't like The Witcher is because it's not woke enough. That's right, the social justice warriors. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I'm like, delete or uh, <laughs> go into my history erase please don't let me pick this up on an algorithm where all i get is these kind of videos now you know right like that's his takeaway it's because it's not woke enough and the social justice wares are really angry and it's like okay okay guy yeah so don't ever get that algorithm on your youtube search history because you'll never stop getting those videos
1: right (laughs) yeah yeah but I I actually like that trailer for No Time to Die, so I'm I'm hoping
0: you know what my problem I'm hoping we can it? get something good. I had a problem with that trailer, Adam, and I'll tell you what okay. it is. There's a part where James Bond has two gatling guns come out of the front of the car, and then uh-huh. he spins around in circles while shooting it. Here's my problem yep. with that. It would have been yep. great to see it in the film. Now it's spoiled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You think it's been giving things away, huh?
0: I Trailers drive me nuts. They give away too yeah. much. I say that uh, all well, the time to Steven. We'll I'll say, uh, Hey, are they showing us the whole movie? And here, Steven, during the Star Wars film, during Rise of Skywalker, Domhnall Gleeson's in it, who we all know as Charlie from Lost, and he was also a hobbit and the Lord of the Rings are, you know, those. He guys. was, he was Mary. During the film, a Star Wars film, transfixed, watching it, Steven's like, hey. I'm like, what? Hey. And I'm trying to watch the film, I'm like, what? And he's like, what about Second Breakfast? <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, Steven. Okay, okay. And so at the end of the movie, the credits, he goes, Hey, do you hear what I said? Second breakfast. And I was like, yes, Stephen. Hilarious. Thank you so much for that. It reminded me of, uh, in, uh, the film, (laughs) just one more thing. Remember the cool film oblivion with Tom Cruise? I really love that film. There's a part where he has this book. He's grabbing some, you know, he needs books for the future or whatever, because they're setting up a new civilization. And Stephen's like, I'm like, what? what? I'm watching the movie, Stephen. What? Hey, what? What, Stephen? Is it a copy of Dianetics? And I'm like, yeah, very funny, Stephen, because he's a Scientologist. So then the movie's over in the credits. He goes, hey, did you hear what I said? It was Dianetics. And I was like, yes, Stephen. I heard. It. <laughs> <laughs> he always has to make sure I caught the joke or whatever. Uh, have you do you watch
1: movies with steven at like your house or his house and does he do that same thing
0: uh when we were younger yes not so much anymore but in movie theaters he's he's really bad about talking during movies or saying stuff. and i it was at one we used to both do it all the time just watching vhs or whatever but there was a certain time i was like I want to watch the movie and I want to pay attention. So I didn't encourage him. I would just pretend like I couldn't hear him or not, not pay attention to what he was telling me. And like, (laughs) I need to not encourage him, but I just love that. He's like, Hey, I'm like, Jason, God, Steven, please. No. Hey, what about second? It's like, all right, I got it. Sky from the Hobbit. I get it. One of my uh, favorites, uh, though, that he did, and I talked about this on the show, was when after Paul Walker died, and we're watching the Fast and the Furious movie, and it's they're playing that when I see you again. You know that yep. song. Yep. Stephen Steven was like, "Hey," I'm like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "Hey, Jason." Like, yes, Stephen. And he's like, "Got a napkin? Just you need this wipe away some tears." I'm like, "God, oh, Steven, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining a beautiful moment." It's about family, Stephen. Don't you understand that? It's about family.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I didn't realize he did that. So oh, if you're wow. in
0: a film with him and you start hearing that, you're just like, oh, no, here it comes.
1: It's like, he better not do that to Heather.
0: He's pulling me right out of the movie. Well, it's funny because, uh, watching the film with his girlfriend, now, I know I can go up to her and go, Hey, how many times does Steven interrupt the film to tell you something funny or whatever? She's like, Oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I can see it. I love Steven, but, uh, he's, he's done that forever.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I think Adam, we should probably wrap this up. I've had a great conversation with you.
1: Oh, Uh, wow. It's nothing but an honor To be able to be a guest on what I consider to be my favorite podcast. So uh, I'm glad that we uh, we've had enough time to do this. And I'm also glad that you are continuing to put out episodes for this podcast, which is now not only wrapping up, what, 15 years, but you're also bringing it into another decade so oh, yeah. I uh I think about uh, that. I congratulate you for uh for keeping it up, keeping up the bas what is basically like your life's work or at least one of them anyway on uh it really on is, this this it? wonderful podcast, <laughs> man.
0: And just remember, Sam Mendes nuts.
1: Sam Mendes nuts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're so immature but uh, Adam have a happy new year and thank you so much for always being supportive of the show. I enjoyed being on your podcast earlier in the year and I hope to do that again. Yeah. We have another big film to talk about maybe hopefully soon. That'll be fun. Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely. And I've got to put out something before people think I've uh, pod faded again. So, uh, so yeah, uh, you have a wonderful, uh, new years and uh i look forward to uh either talking to you or hearing from you and steven uh pretty soon in the future
0: all right man best to you and yours happy new year
1: happy new year
0: all right everybody that's it have a happy new year and we'll see you next time
1: check you leader.
0: leaders